Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Tom Guinan, and I'd like to welcome you to the October 23rd episode of the bull bear banter. Cheyenne Dunham is joining me and will give us an update on this week's market. Cheyenne? All right, Tom. So for our market update this week, December corn gained three cents today. Those closed at four nineteen and a quarter, which is up more than seventeen cents for the week. March corn futures ended the day at four twenty and a quarter, which was up two cents, and those gained more than thirteen cents for our week on week. Switching over to soybeans, January beans added eight and three quarters cent today. Those ended at ten eighty one, adding thirty and three quarters cents for the week. And finally, March soybean futures were also up eight and three quarters cent today. Those came in at ten sixty seven and a half, which was up about thirty cents for the week. We just want to make a note here that March futures are thirteen and a half cents less than January soybean futures this week. That inverse continues to widen for every subsequent month this crop year, before the bottom drops out for November twenty twenty one which closed at 982 and 3 quarters today, which is almost a dollar less than January futures. This week's big story is somewhat along the same lines of what Cheyenne talked about last week, the continued resilience of both corn and soybean prices. This week we saw both hit recent contract highs with January soybean futures above 1080 and December corn hit 420 right before today's close. The numbers Cheyenne just gave us show us the board closing near those highs this week. Whenever we get to these types of levels, invariably I start to hear the word volatility a lot more often. Very broadly, volatility is defined as the likelihood to change rapidly, especially for the worse. You've heard about people with a volatile temperament. It is rarely used in a good way to describe people. In a more specific sense, from a trading perspective, volatility is defined as a statistical measure of the dispersion of returns for a specific investment or market index basically measuring the likelihood of something to change from the current price level. With regard to grain trading, there is a constantly updated measure of volatility, or vol, for every commodity and for every futures month traded. So when we say January futures are volatile, we could actually quantify it for you if you'd like, but it's very complicated and somewhat hard for many to follow, myself included. Right now, it feels like a lot of farmers are in essence buying volatility, whether they are sitting on unsold bushels in the elevator or in their own bin. Now don't get me wrong, a little volatility is usually a good thing and somewhat necessary in the grain business. But when volatility increases, it just means we have a higher likelihood of the market doing something bad like dropping 10% or more, or 40 to 50 cents on corn and maybe a dollar plus on soybeans. It might not happen, and it might not happen quickly, but it's more likely to happen. If you're a contrarian, or someone that likes to look at the other side of the coin, and contemplate how you might take advantage of a situation where things might fall apart or drop precipitously, did you know that you can actually sell volatility? You can do this by using our bonus premium contract. We would actually pay you more than our current bid for bushels you want to sell now if you would put in an offer for the same amount of next year's bushels at a level above that current price for that delivery period. This is a great way to take advantage of a relatively high price and high volatility at the same time. In the essence of time, I'd encourage you to discuss this with your local grain marketing advisor. For now, let's discuss other items impacting prices as we move into the bull bear factors. For our bull factors on corn, 
Export inspections last week came in at 35.9 million bushels, and while this was just a little better than the previous week, it was also just above the expected range of estimates. And it was the second highest we've seen this year, with more than 150% of the same week last year. Cumulative exports now stand around 215 million bushels loaded, versus only about 122 at the same time last year. In September, China imported a little over 1 million metric tons, or more than 42 million bushels of corn. That's 675% more than September of 2019. Export sales really ramped up last week as well. Those came in at 72.1 million bushels, versus 25.8 the previous week, and 48.3 million the week before that. Total commitments are now 1.116 billion bushels compared to only 427 million at this point last year. There remains concern about the second crop in Brazil and whether or not that will amount to a lot of corn. Apparently, they already plant a fairly short season corn hybrid, and the later this first planting of beans get, the more concern people have about how much they will get out of that second crop. And finally, earlier this week, we heard an interesting story coming out of Russia. Their wheat farmers are struggling to get the crop in the ground before it freezes. We note a story about them using steamrollers to press the seed into the ground, which is something they haven't done in the past. We'll see how that goes, but if the worldwide wheat crop is reduced, it should support our corn prices. Well, on the bear side, U.S. harvested acres were estimated at 60% versus 41% last week. 28% last year, and 43% on average as of Sunday. Iowa was said to be 65% complete versus 13% last year, and 29% on average. These tie in well to what we're hearing across the land as footprint. Minnesota hit 63% versus 29% last year, and Nebraska at 58% versus 31% last year. Both are well ahead of their five-year average. Illinois, at 66%, is about on par with their 65% average, while Indiana, at 48%, is still slightly behind their 50% average pace. While we don't usually think of the Dakotas as huge corn-producing states, South Dakota is now 64% done versus 8 last year, and North Dakota is 55% done versus 3 last year. Now keep in mind, a lot of those acres for last year weren't harvested until this past spring. U.S. ethanol production dropped back to 268 million gallons from the previous week of 275. This is the lowest in three weeks and the third lowest in three months. Another reason to keep it in the bear column is ethanol margins. With corn prices climbing, a very strong cash basis, and crude oil hanging around $40, it really comes down to how efficient a specific facility is. Some of those more modern, highly efficient plants will continue to run hard. Others that are older and less efficient are going to continue to struggle. Ethanol stocks did drop back, as we'd expect, with a reduced grind across the industry. Last week, they dropped to 828 million gallons versus 840 the previous week. Gasoline demand slipped again last week, dropping to 8.289 million barrels per day, down from 8.576 the previous week. This is the lowest demand number in more than four months. This also reflects a decrease of more than 13% when comparing year over year, while we've been running around 7% on average the previous five weeks. Crude oil futures continue to be around $40 a barrel and continue in a fairly sideways pattern for more than a month. One last item here. Keep an eye on the cash prices for forward months on corn. There's still a decent carry from now to December, but then it flattens out pretty good. There's still a carry for subsequent months, but with cash prices showing anywhere from 6 to $0.10 cents to carry corn until July, 
the market's really not rewarding you for holding on to this crop for very long. For our soybean bull factors, export inspections were once again very strong last week. Those came in at 79.9 million bushels. This would be a new record for this marketing year, as well as the largest one-week total since 2017. If it weren't for the USDA revising the previous week, up from 79.3 to 88.1 million bushels. This now puts us at 423 million bushels for the first seven weeks versus about 239 million at the same point last year. While export sales dipped last week to 81.8 million bushels, they remained strong. But this is the first time in seven weeks that they fell below 90 million. However, this is way more than the 15 million for this same week last year. And total commitments to all destinations are at 1.66 billion, and that's now almost 1 billion more than this same time last year. Soybean plantings in Brazil were estimated at 6% complete earlier this week, up from the previous week at 2%. Last year at this time, they were already 20% planted, and the five-year average is 17%. And finally, soybean meal continues to rally, with December futures trading above 380 per ton. If we go all the way back to the day before the derecho storm, that number was below 290 it's climbed about $40 in about seven weeks to just over $330 by September 29th. But since then, it's added more than $50 a ton in just over three weeks. Part of the issue is what we discussed last week, the rising milk prices. However, there are also concerns about potential damage to the crop in Argentina due to La Nina. This is because so much of that crop is exported as soybean meal. As far as soybean bear factors... Harvested acres were estimated at 75% nationally at the end of last week, up from 61% the previous week, 40% last year, and well ahead of the five-year average of 58%. Iowa hit 90%, up from 78% the previous week, 39% last year, and also beating the five-year average of 52%. Minnesota is 96% done versus 35% last year, and 67% on average. Illinois is 81% complete versus 66% on average. Indiana was 72% versus 61% on average. Both South Dakota and North Dakota are at or above 90% versus 27% and 19% respectively last year. Managed money funds continue to be significantly long soybean futures. Short term, this is still a good thing helping support the market as long as they continue to defend their position and add to their length. We hesitate to give exact information on this because by the time we see an official report, it reflects the positions as of a few days prior, and a lot can change in just a few short days. We'll keep this in the bear column simply because at some point they will need to reverse course and start selling this position, and then it will become a negative for futures and for cash prices. We're also going to continue to discuss the inverse in soybean futures as well as cash prices. Our cash bids are the exact same for delivery during any month from now through January, and then it's 16 cents less for February or March, and it continues to drop for every delivery period the rest of the crop year. Keep looking at your local elevator's bids for selling now versus February and beyond. On our What to Watch For and Upcoming Events, Daylight Savings Time ends on Sunday, November 1st, which is just over a week away. And the next USDA WASDE report is scheduled for November 10th. And finally, the Landis annual meeting is going to take a little different format this year, with several scheduled around the area for early December. Members should keep an eye on their mailbox for complete details. And now for Tom's take. 
Earlier this week, we sent out our Grow on the Go electronic newsletter. The articles contained in that are also posted on our website. I particularly like the one by Dr. Charles Herberg regarding storing corn and soybeans on the farm this year. He has several important items to note. The main one is don't store this grain for long due to the storability matrix he runs every year. His initial research indicates that inequality issues will show up quickly and become a much bigger problem than normal. This ties in well with what we've been saying about the inverse already showing in the soybean market as well as the relatively flat cash corn bids for delivery from December through July of next summer. There are many reasons to not sit on this for too long. His second point is that if the corn isn't dried properly and quickly, anything with damage will grow mold and become more dangerous to cattle and humans. Damaged corn doesn't give up moisture as easily and will lose less during cool down than other kernels. Test weight is also a very important factor for this year's corn crop. It needs to be at least 55 pounds or more to have a chance to store well. Low test weight is a very good indicator of damage and stress. Low test weight corn is also not handled well by poultry. So keep a close eye on your bins as this fall turns into winter. I always remember an old boy telling me that he tries to think of that bin of corn as full of silver dollars because if it was, he says, he'd be out there every day making sure it was okay. He would tell me, I've worked too hard raising that crop. I don't want to take less than it's worth because I made bad decisions managing it once it's in the bin. I always thought that was a good way to think about it. Thanks for listening. That's all we have for you today. We appreciate you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter. If you'd like to contact us, you can send a tweet to at Landis Co-op or drop an email to podcast at LandisCooperative.com. Our tagline is bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. If you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. We want to thank you for listening and we'll be back with you again next week. 